This podcast is brought to you by ClearBridge Investments. Meet an evolving economy confidently with ClearBridge Active Equities, the foundation of a resilient portfolio. ClearBridge, a Franklin Templeton company. Go to clearbridge.com to learn more. Hi, everyone, and thanks for joining us for another installment of The Way Forward. Last week was a tumultuous one for our country and for the markets. To help us make sense of it all, we've got a very special guest with us here today, Marty Bicknell, who is CEO of Mariner Wealth Advisors. Mariner, if you don't know it well, is an incredible firm. They're an RIA based in Leewood, Kansas, with a national footprint that has been a perennial top runner in our top 50 U.S. RIA firms ranking. And they've had an incredible run in both organic and inorganic growth in the last few years. Marty, thanks so much for joining us. Sterling, thanks for having me. Marty, uh, one thing that's on the minds of everyone these days is the issue about race and diversity in wealth management. We've talked a lot about this in recent weeks, but I'd love to get your perspective on it. Can you tell us why is diversity important to RIA firms? Yes, Sterling, I'd be happy to. I think, you know, more broadly, I mean, obviously diversity is important worldwide right now. But from, you know, specifically from a wealth management perspective, um, you know, the, the industry itself, you know, just hasn't been very diverse. Um, and, you know, for the most part, even the male-female perspective, um, it's been slow. And, you know, it, we feel that one um, is, you know, moving faster. Um, you know, from a from a firm perspective, we have 325 advisors, and almost 40 percent of our advisors are female. You know, we think that's extraordinary. Um, but you know, but from a more broad perspective, you know, there's things from an industry that it's incumbent upon all of us to try to figure out. Um, and, you know, I think that, you know, I've been on several phone calls uh, this week uh, with other industry leaders. And, you know, I think we are all finally ready to do the steps that it takes to, you know, try to figure this out. And what's interesting is for all of us to do this, Banding together nationally, that's great. But in my opinion, it boils down to single individual decisions and and the education of what we do and how to, you know, continue to attract and educate, um, you know, more people to the industry um, is very important to all of us. I agree. There's lots that, that can be done. But in your mind, what's the highest priority? What's the what's one thing that can really help move the needle? Uh, we've been talking about this issue as an as an industry for a long time. Uh, but yeah, to your point, progress has been slow. What, what do you think is the most important first step in that regard? Education. And the, the education piece of it, you know, there are um, three or four associations in our space that are, you know, very focused on this. And I think that's really important and that education will help. But I think as we get, you know, there's a lot of um, the national firms, the national RIA firms and, and, and non-RIA firms that do a lot of recruiting on campuses now. And, you know, a, a lot of universities have financial planning courses and, you know, spending money, spending energy and, and, and people resources and going out and having, you know, feet on the street to, you know, help guide, lead and educate, um, I think is really important. 
but I also think it's important that we go where those organizations aren't. Um, go to the universities that, you know, everybody isn't think automatically thinking of and, and trying to educate that way as well. Hmm. Well, this sounds like good steps. Uh, M- Marty, another thing that's on everyone's mind right now is, is what to expect in the market looking forward. Last week, Thursday, we had a significant uh, return of volatility. Uh, I think there's going to be more of those kind of days uh, in the year to come. How do you coach Mariner advisors to respond to their clients' concerns about uh, what the future is going to bring and, and uncertainty in the markets? Well, I think the first thing um, that that we do is you know educate people um, that it is it's a planning process, um, you know, and to focus on your plan and, and volatility, uh, you know, will be here. Volatility will always be here. Sometimes, you know, it's less and sometimes it's more extreme like it is today. Um, but you know, if you focus on the, the, the objective and your plan, um, you know, uh, the, the ultimate objective, the market will, correct itself, um, in both ways, but in the long term, it will rise. Mm. And the, and, and the way we like to think about it, I mean, if you think, you know, the th- looking backwards over this, you know, 11 year bull run, um, there's been plenty of times of turmoil and volatility and, and we've kind of always took a step back and said, you know, buy on the dips and, and do it as quickly as you can. Um, but you know, this time, um, it's a little more nuanced, if you will. And, you know, what we really think is over the next, you know, two to five months, don't confuse activity with progress. There's no reason during this volatility to react until you know more. And so that's what we're advising people to do is just, you know, take a step back, wait and see, and, re, you know, continue to, to evaluate, you know, what your plan is and, and how it's being impacted. Don't confuse activity with progress is a great line. But what are some of the indicators that uh, evidence the difference between the two? What are you what are you watching for? You know, if you if you think about, you know, the the objective of, you know, the being it being a planning based solution. So, mm-hmm. you know, each client's obviously going to be a little bit different and, and, and the allocation that's put into place. Um, for those clients um, should be such that the volatility doesn't impact the sleep at night rule. And if the volatility is impacting the sleep at night rule, the allocation is wrong. And so, you know, at at that point, point, maybe some changes do need to be made, but I still wouldn't break the rule of doing it in the middle of the volatility. That's good advice. I, I'm sure you're talking to your advisors um, more frequently there, these days, and I'm sure they're talking to their clients more frequently. I, I'd like to ask you about that. I mean, a CEO of a dynamic organization, north of 300 advisors nationally now. How was the shift to the virtual and work from home format for for you and and for the firm? Working from home for me is not new. Um, I spend, you know, roughly three to four months a year working remotely. So the the day-to-day aspect of that for me um, didn't change. You know, what's funny is, you know, I would get notes from individuals, emails that would basically say, you know, because of the stay at home, you know, you, you... 
you have more availability. So let's jump on a call. And mm. that that's funny because that, that couldn't be farther from the truth for me. I mean, I, I've, I'm busier than I've ever been. Mm. Um, my calendar is, you know, is jammed full of, of calls and videos all day, every day. But, but at the same time, I'm more productive. I, you know, used to travel three to four days a week. And with, without that travel, without what happens during, you know, that process, I actually have the ability to spend more time with people. Um, and, you know, I think that's really important. But I think, you know, the other part of your question was impacting your organization. And as you know, everybody's different. I mean, we we have individuals inside our organization that are going stir crazy. Um, we have, you know, individuals in our organization that need that, you know, interaction. Um, so that piece of it is has been hard to watch. But the, the productivity of the organization has not been impacted. Have you altered your leadership style a little bit because of the way we are all forced to interact these days? Can you give us a, a glimpse into the, the Marty Bicknell playbook on, on how you are keeping culture and, and strategy aligned uh, with your team? Yeah, I'd be happy to. It's interesting. So I'm doing um, a lot more audio recordings and video recordings um, that that I'm sharing with the entire organization. Uh, and you know, I think just the communication piece itself um, is is more. It's always important. Communication is always important, but I think it's more important today than ever. Um, you know, one of the things that that we did before all of this happened was our intranet is called workplace, which is actually, um, brought to us by Facebook. And so if you think of your internet actually looking like Facebook, that's what workplace is. So, you know, you can have groups, you do postings, you do all of this. Well, before the stay at home, before the pandemic, we had about 30% participation throughout our workforce. We have 700 people and about 30% of them were using that. Um, now it's a hundred percent. Um, and, and, you know, everyone, that's their way of staying connected. Um, and, you know, obviously we didn't know this, but I mean, the fact that, that we have it has been a great tool, but one of the things that I've been doing on a regular basis is so some kind of weekly post, whether it's audio or video, but then once a month I've been doing a, pre-recorded video of a state of the state, um, and that, that gets posted. And then I sit at my desk, um, on workplace and answer questions live. Um, and, and, you know, that way, you know, individuals get to see other people's questions. They get to, you know, it, it, one question leads to another question and it's just, um, it, 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 it's fun to do, but it also, um, you know, there's hundreds of people throughout the, co- the country that are participating in that. And, you know, that's something that I hope we don't lose that I probably would have never done otherwise. Well, I love the once a month state of the state. I want to ask you about that. I mean, it's a it's a chaotic time to be running a national RIA firm. But as we all know, in, in chaos, there's opportunity, particularly uh, in this business. How do you see what's going on now as an opportunity for for your business looking forward? Well, it, it's definitely an opportunity. I think, you know, thinking back on into 2008, 2009, during that turmoil, um, you know, the two periods, you know, are obviously a lot different. Um, and, you know, back then we were able to grow because there were, you know, large financial services firms making decisions that quality individuals, you know, 
didn't like. And so a firm our age and our size was able to hire people that normally we wouldn't be able to. But thinking about today, you know, that's, that's not the case. So there's not, there's not the P and L or balance sheet turmoil in, in the financial services firms like there was then, but there's this, the volatility we talked about before the, the, the concern of people and it, it, it's driving individual clients, um, to reach out at a pace that I haven't seen in a long time. Mm-hmm. I mean, we are, I mean, we are onboarding new clients as fast as we ever have. How is that process different in the virtual format, uh, than it was previously? I mean, how have you adapted that? discovery process and first impression and uh, talking to these clients about their their needs. How does that how does it look different now than it did, say, a year ago? Well, I mean, it looks different because not, you know, very little of it, if any, until recently is done, you know, face to face or elbow to elbow. So, you know, most of it is done through video calls. And, you know, the 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 onboarding of a client from a paperwork standpoint, I mean, that was, you know, already available. Drawing back to my aunt, to a comment I made before, we didn't have very much penetration of doing it that way. Um, but now we do. And so, you know, things like that, I don't think will ever, will, will change going forward. But, you know, the, one of the interesting things that, you know, I've heard people comment about is our clients, even our older clients are asking for video calls. Um, and, and most of the time they're making comments about their grandchildren teaching them to do it, or this is the only way I get to see my grandchild. So now I know how, and you know, the, you know, that aspect of it, you know, I didn't really think about before this, but all, all of these things happening at once, I think is driving that to be, normal now and and not so awkward. So organic growth is up because of this flight to quality advisors who are not solving client needs are getting exposed. Uh, That's benefiting firms like yours. But what about firms that are unable to adapt uh, either by will or uh, or technology to this kind of format? Many are struggling. Uh, Does that create uh, increased inorganic opportunities for you, do you think? What will consolidation look like as a result of this crisis's impact on the RA market. So I think if we kind of cut that into two different slices and think of, you know, inorganic as, you know, slice one is recruiting and mm-hmm. slice two is, is acquisitions. Um, the, the pace of recruiting, um, I've never seen it at this level. Um, our, our pipeline in inbound calls, um, you know, ha- haven't, I, you know, just haven't been like this before. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, you know, the, the opportunity, we're not alone. I mean, as you know, I'm in several study groups and, you know, in in talking to, you know, other CEOs, I mean, it's the same thing. I mean, people are reaching out, um, to, you know, to try to find, you know, the right solution, the right home to weather all this. Um, so I think, I I think the recruiting aspect and people, um, moving from firm to firm, uh, will, will increase, and it will be at a level that I don't know that we've ever, ever really 
focused on in the RIA world before in, in people moving from RIA to RIA. We don't really talk about that much and mm-hmm. it doesn't really happen that much. I think you're going to see a ton of it wow. um, now and going forward. Um, you know, the acquisition side of things, I, I just don't see it being impacted negatively. I, I don't, I mean, the number of calls that that I'm participating in that are banker led versus non banker led, they're the same. I mean, the calls are still happening. The processes are still going. Um, so I, I think, you know, those will continue. I mean, you've seen a few announcements this week of, of firms, um, you know, announcing acquisitions. So I, I think the, the acquisition pace that we've seen in the past um, is not going to be impacted. Yeah, I, I would agree. And if anything, this might be an accelerator in five years or there substantial fewer RIAs who are larger and operating at, at a much higher scale? I think there will be a, a continued growth of, of some larger firms. Um, and there'll be, um, the larger firms are going to get larger um, and there will be more on that list. Um, I, I do firmly believe that. Um, I'm not sure the, the count will go down. And mm. what I mean, I mean, the, the, the you see as many um, new establishing firms um, than you know than we've ever seen. I mean, people leaving other forms of uh, of yep. the advice area and coming and starting new RIAs. Um, I don't see that going down. It's interesting. How will technology uh, use shift in the RIA marketplace looking forward? This event has obviously been an instigator. Your example of the. Uh, the Mariner workplace system uh, is one point where you're moving from 30% to 100% usage in a few months' time. What will be the lasting impacts of the way people think about technology as advisors from the situation we're in? I actually think that's what it is. I think it, it will be the adoption. Um, you know, the, there are a lot of firms um, that, you know, have the ability to, you know, showcase really you know, cool tools, right? Cool technology. Um, but the, the adoption that it gets across firms and then even inside the firms that adopt it, um, is usually very small. Uh, and, and that's been our experience with, you know, almost everything that we've, that we've brought out. Um, I, I think now, you know, this is kind of fast forwarded the entire industry, but especially our firm, you know, several years um, into people just understanding now that this is just what we do. Do you think that there'll be different solutions that are going to rise out of this? Or is this an opportunity for fintech firms to really double down on what they're providing to the wealth management sector? You know, I think that the things that will be coming out um, will probably surprise us all, um, you know, just, you know, as they have in the past. I, I you know, I think that the fintech and, and, you know, even more specifically wealth tech, um, you know, I'm really excited to see, you know, some of the ideas that that come out of this. I mean, we're, you know, the some of the things that that are being talked about today um, you know, aren't necessarily new, um, but they might just might be getting more attention, you know, as I kind of alluded to before. But but to your point, I think that I mean, things that I mean, things I'm not even thinking of right now, somebody else is. Yeah, I think there'll be a lot of innovation and a lot of choices. I know you're an active watcher of the wealth tech environment. So we'll have to see what what comes down the road next. Uh, I want to shift back to where we started the discussion around markets. One other 
thing that I think is going to be likely different in the industry looking forward is the way that client portfolios are constructed. Uh, because whether it was the late stage of the, the bull market cycle or just complacency, uh, it seemed like clients didn't have enough exposure to alternative investments or uh, enough diversification in their portfolios to weather the kind of volatility that we've seen. And uh, we've talked to a lot of advisors who have really shifted and changed and kind of rethought the way they're allocating to both fixed income and alts. Do you have any thoughts on that you want to share? How are you evolving the investment process within Mariner uh, to make sure that your, your advisors are building the most durable portfolios possible? I think there will be a lot of innovation in things that come from that specifically. But I think, you know, to to think about the the question the way you asked it, so just breaking it up into, you know, the fixed income and and the alternative piece of it. So fixed income, um, you know, broadly, no, I don't I, I don't think there's a lot of changes coming to to our approach for that. I think the overall thought is that, you know, you work really hard for to establish an asset allocation. And, you know, that's to help, you know, clients meet their goals. And it's and to us, it's always been about the sleep at night rule. But fixed income it is part of that allocation because of its safety and, and and the and the knowing and understanding of you know that of what it does not that it's part of the growth of the portfolio i think that's a big component for us is we don't mistakenly try to allocate and be creative with fixed income it's there for safety purposes you know i think from the from the alternative side that 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 you talk about, I mean, I think the, you know, liquid alternatives. Um, I mean, they continue to be a struggle both for advisors and clients. You know, the the performance, you know, has been disappointing. The the structure of some of them, all you know. I, I I hope that that's part of the innovation that comes, um, but but today it's just not something that that we have you know a great deal of confidence in in, in using in client portfolios. But you know our focus has been um, always been more on the private side, so bringing you know private real estate, private you know equity um, alternatives to our clients um, is, you know, is something that we've always believed in and, and, and will will continue to, for the foreseeable future anyway, is bring those strategies to our clients. Yeah, that's what we're seeing a lot of uh, from folks we're talking to as well. I, I bring it up because I, I took note uh, before this happened, our team has been focused on uh, looking at alternatives in the marketplace. And we noticed a large national firm uh, whose investment committee was recommending a 13% allocation for higher net worth clients to alternative investments, yet the average advisor at that firm had less than 3% of client assets in that area. Uh, and that gap, we just wondering, it's, it's surprising, but they're designed to cushion volatility. So, I just anticipate more movement into private equity, private credit, and private opportunities. And it sounds like that's what you're that's what you're saying that you're gonna you would expect more of that, or at least the same level moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. So the way the, the way I think about it is, you know, in 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 your asset allocation, um, you know, you have the the components that you have, right? So you have you know equity component, um, you have your fixed income component, and either of those, you take a step back and look at the client and say, you know, what is the, 
determination for liquidity. And, you know, all clients, um, uh, you know, uh, once they reach a certain size can, can take a, a step back and say, this portion of it does not need to be liquid. And, you know, to, to approach it that way and think about the equity slash growth component or even the credit component um, and in getting a, and frankly, getting paid for that lack of liquidity um, and lack of volatility is, um, is something that we spend a lot of time on for our clients. And, I'm, you know, as you just said, I'm hearing more and more advisors that are doing it as well. Marty, we've talked, we've covered a lot of ground here. We've talked about building portfolios and opportunities for growth, both inorganic and organic and, and leadership and communications. I, I want to end by asking you two questions. The first is, if you think about what advisors are doing this, and you see this as a a time of opportunity for Mariner. Um, what about younger advisors or people who haven't seen maybe this kind of market situation or aren't prepared to deal with it? What problems do you see them facing? What errors do you see people making right now? What would you what would you offer as as advice to people who aren't quite sure what path to take as an advisor right now. And then I want you to end with an, an actionable idea. But first, first tell me, what do you, what do you think are, are some of the errors that people maybe who are, don't have the experience or, or vision that you have are making right now? You know, I think um, we, we touched on it a little bit earlier. I think to me, um, you know, the, the, the don'ts is don't act or react. Um, and, and, you know, take a step back and understand, um, you know, what the volatility is doing to your client's objectives. Obviously that has to happen. Um, but, but the panic piece of it, um, is something that, you know, we, I really hope, you know, newer advisors, aren't making. I mean, if you think about somebody, um, you know, making a, 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 quick decision in March when things were absolutely terrible and, and somebody panicked and sold, you know, they obviously completely missed the April and May rally. So back to the statement I made before, I mean, don't mistake activity for progress. I, 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 th- I think the biggest, um, the, the most important thing you can do is, is be patient um, and and wait out the volatility. Can I ask you to end in Barron's tradition with a final actionable idea for the advisors who are listening in? My actionable idea is pick up the phone and call your clients. Um, you would you can't imagine the the number of client or client and prospect conversations that you know our organization is having uh, of people saying I can't get my advisor on the phone. My advisor hasn't called me. Um, the, you know, they, the, or, and, or even when I do talk to, to them, um, you know, they, there's nothing comes out of the conversation. I, so I think, you know, number one clients, not only just clients, but, you know, people inside our organization, um, they want communicated to, and, you know, so pick up the phone and call them, make sure that you're providing content to, to your organization and, and to your, and to your clients, you know, post things, um, on your website so they can, you know, hear you. So you're touching, you know, more than one at a time, but communication is more important now than, than ever. Well, Marty, thank you very much for your insights. We really appreciate it. Sterling, thank you for having me. And I'd like to thank all of you for listening in to this week's installment of The Way Forward.
We'll be back next week with another newsletter and podcast. Be well and stay safe. This podcast is brought to you by ClearBridge Investments. Meet an evolving economy confidently with ClearBridge Active Equities, the foundation of a resilient portfolio. ClearBridge, a Franklin Templeton company. Go to clearbridge.com to learn more.